Good morning. Welcome to Trinity Lutheran Church. I'm Pastor Bibb, and a special warm welcome to any guests or visitors joining us on this Lord's Day as we gather to rejoice in the salvation that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our service this day is the Order of Matins, which begins on page 213. But getting to the Sunday and its propers, or rather the readings that are proper for today, it's the ninth Sunday after Trinity. And so I'll direct your attention to the inside of the back cover of your bulletin, where there is that focused on Christ section, a summary of our readings this day. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, Jesus says in the gospel. The steward's shrewdness is praiseworthy for two reasons. First, he knew the master would be merciful. He trusted that the master would honor the debts he forgave in the master's name. In the same way, though we have squandered our Heavenly Father's possessions in selfishness and in sin, Jesus is the steward who has canceled our debt, knowing that his forgiveness will be honored by the Father because of the Holy Cross. Secondly, the steward was shrewd in using oil and wheat to provide for his earthly welfare. So also do these earthly elements aid us when pressed into heavenly use in the anointing of baptism and the wheat of the Lord's Supper. Those who have the sacraments will have an eternal home when their earthly home fails. These provide us... These provide us aid in times of temptation, for the Lord is our strength and a shield to all who trust in him. As I mentioned, we'll be singing the uh, Office of Matins. We're following the Order of Matins this day on page 219. We now sing the first hymn. The Old Testament reading for the ninth Sunday after Trinity is from 2 Samuel chapter 22. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you deal purely. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. You save a humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. For you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? This God is my strong refuge and has made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. O Lord, have mercy upon us. The epistle is from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. O Lord, have mercy upon us. And I see you now. 
Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 16th chapter. Jesus also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what, what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you, who will entrust you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our sermon text this day is the Gospel lesson, Luke 16, 1-13, but the focus will be, well, at least the beginning, I should say, uh, will be on Luke 16, 8, where we hear Jesus say this, The Master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Well, dear sons and daughters of light, our Lord Jesus has given us a rather difficult parable today, and yet the meaning of his words is not unknown. As we work our way through this lesson, Jesus presents us with a contrast between two groups of people, and you need to keep this in mind the whole way through. The sons of this world, unbelievers, and the sons of light, believers. As we meditate on the parable of the unrighteous steward, because it's not just that he's unrighteous, or unjust rather, he is unrighteous, as the Greek says, our focus will be, or we will be confronted rather, with the sinful and selfish motives that live inside each and every one of us, every single fallen human being. However, we will also see the beautiful and the shocking grace of God in Christ Jesus, our Savior. And finally... We will learn how God would have us live in this fallen world as his baptized and forgiven children, using his gifts to bless and serve our neighbors. So, put on your thinking caps, Lutherans, because this lesson has got some depth to it today. First off, let's get a better understanding of who this manager is, because the title manager, it's something that we're familiar with today, but that word manager, it falls short of who this man truly is. A more accurate title would be steward. 
Now, in ancient times, including the New Testament period, a steward, they had much more authority over things than a manager would of like a convenience store or of a fast food restaurant. A steward was like a regent, one who rules in the place or in the stead of a king. Now, for those familiar with the Lord of the Rings books, think of the steward of Gondor, that particular character. You see, he himself was not the king of Gondor, but he ruled in place of the king until the king should return. Now, for a biblical example, think of Joseph when Pharaoh put him in charge of Egypt when the famine had gone through. Perhaps the closest thing that we have to a steward today is probably a CEO, a chief executive officer, the one who runs things for the boss and who speaks with the boss's authority, even though he's not the boss, not truly. Here's another example. Think of the military. Maybe this will be helpful. In the military, the executive officer is second in command, and he's in command when the commander's not present. He also has charge over the particular day-to-day duties of those under his command, logistical things such as food, supplies, transportation, general planning. Now, why is this so? Well, because the military is not structured for equality or for equity, but for efficiency and order. Despite the calls for equity in all things, it's very good that our military maintains a very rigid hierarchy, for such structure is part and parcel of how it remains effective in its God-given purpose of bearing the sword for our good. I digress. Now, knowing how a commanding officer functions in the military, this is important. And the reason why is because the master in the parable will, and he legally must, honor the deals his steward makes on his behalf. Now, make no mistake about it. The steward is unrighteous, and he is sinful in his dealings. This giving away much of his master's wealth, it will not be taken back. And so if the steward says, take your bill and write 50, then it's 50, even if it is less than honest. The master has been cheated, to be sure. However, he must honor the contract because he has given his steward that authority. Does it make sense? Let's keep going then. Now, notice how zealous, how motivated this unrighteous steward is. He knows his time is short. He's been caught and he's been called to account. Therefore, he's going to make sure that he has a soft and safe place to land. And he knows just how he's going to do it. So on that last day that he's in his office, he goes in to clear his things out. And he knows exactly how he's spending his time. You see, he's going to use his great influence over his master's finances one last time. Now, it's safe to say that this man is probably somewhat older. By his own admission, he's not strong enough to dig. And that suggests that he spent much of his adult life in what we would call white-collar work and not in manual labor. And he's too ashamed to beg, likely because he's enjoyed a relatively high and privileged standing among his peers and in the community. So he's not going to do that now. It'd be beneath him. So what does he do? Well, he calls in his master's clients one by one, and he writes out totally new bills for them, making him look good and leaving his master to deal with all the financial fallout. For the unrighteous steward, this is a win-win situation. He knows he's fired anyway. By doing what he's done, he builds positive relationships with people who will later receive him into their homes. Now... He also makes his master look gracious and generous to his debtors in the process. And he makes himself look good. 
So then when he's emptied out his office and his belongings are all packed onto his animals, right? You can see the scene play out. Sun's setting in the distance. The man's going out there. He's got his last box he's carrying out, you know. And the master has something to say. But what he says to him is shocking. It's surprising. Because he actually commends the dishonest manager, the unrighteous steward. And why? Why would he possibly do this? Well, it's not beyond our understanding. Now, here's another example. Think about it like this. There are two bitter rival football teams. Okay, They're facing each other. The score is tied with four seconds left on the clock. The game comes down to the last play. The visiting team is on the five-yard line, and they need a touchdown to win this thing. So as the ball is snapped, what transpires is a masterfully crafted and executed surprise play. The play is so good that the home team is completely dumbfounded as to how they lost the game. However, upon watching the replay, even the hometown crowd, they've got to admit it. They marvel at the genius, precision, and athleticism that brought them a loss in the final play. And so when the two coaches meet each other on the field after the game, the home team's coach cannot help but commend the rival coach, saying, wow, that was an incredible play. How did you do that? So it is with the master in the parable commending the unrighteous steward for his prudence, his wisdom, and his shrewdness. Now, as Jesus said, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. We've come back to that. Remember that contrast I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon? The sons of this world, unbelievers, and the sons of light, believers. You see, Jesus is making a point, and we should be careful not to miss it today. He is highlighting the unrighteous steward in the parable, and he's saying, do you see how motivated, how focused, and how zealous this unrighteous man was? Do you see how nothing was going to stop this man from taking care of himself, his own flesh? He focused all of his wisdom, his energy, and his resources on taking care of himself. This is how the sons of this world, unbelievers, conduct themselves. You, dear sons of light, believers, you should have that same motivation, that same focus, that same zeal when it comes to loving and serving your neighbors instead of yourselves. Now, dear sons and daughters of light, think about all that God has given you. You see, this is where Luther's meanings to the Apostles' Creed are helpful, right? Think about the first article and its meaning. I believe that God has made me and all creatures, that he has given me my body and soul, eyes, ears, all my members, my reason and all my senses, and still takes care of them. He also gives me clothing and shoes, food and drink, house and home, land, animals, and all I have. He daily and richly provides me with all that I need to support this body and life. Now, folks, can you even begin to count all of God's blessings in your life? I mean, if you even just take a moment to think on it, it's amazing. You can't do it, can you? None of us can. It's amazing. Now think about the second article of the Creed and its meaning. I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father from eternity, born of, also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord, who has redeemed me, that has bought me back, a lost and condemned person, Purchased and won me from all sins, from death, and from the power of the devil. Now how? Not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death. 
Why? Why did he do this? That I may be his own and live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness, just as he has risen from the dead, lives and reigns to all eternity. Dear saints, the grace of God is beyond our comprehension. We who are poor, miserable sinners, we who are enemies of God, God has given everything, even himself, even his lifeblood on the cross, that we might be his own. And not just, not just possessions, but his children, forgiven, beloved, washed clean in baptism, made heirs of his own kingdom. Jesus has given to us all that the Father has given to him. And to us it looks like squandering it. But you see, the Father desires to be merciful. And so in the Son, we have all things. Forgiveness, life, and salvation. It's beyond our comprehension. In Christ Jesus, you have all things that you need in this life and the next. But there's more. Because you see, now finally, think about the third article and its meaning. I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. In the same way he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. In this Christian church, he daily and richly forgives all my sins. Notice that repetition, daily and richly, and the sins of all believers. To what end? Well, on the last day, he will raise me and all the dead and give eternal life to me and all believers in Christ. And to all these meanings, we confess this is most certainly true. Now, why did I bring all this up? Because it wasn't just to see how much of the catechism I could cram into a Sunday morning sermon. Now, we should never stop learning it by heart. But you see, the chief reason that I mention all this is to remind you of all that the one true God has done for you and continues to do for you. God has created you. He has redeemed you. That has bought you back by the blood of his son. He has sanctified you. That has made you holy by his Holy Spirit. And he uses his word and sacraments to do that. You are his baptized and forgiven child. You are sons and daughters of light. God be praised for his mercy and grace in Christ crucified. Now that's all well and good, but you might be thinking, okay, pastor, but now what? You go through all that. Why? Well, you probably noticed that when you woke up this morning, you're not in heaven yet. You're not living in the new heavens and new earth, not yet. So it begs the question, what do we do until we get there, right? Well, that brings us back to the parable and to Jesus' comparison and contrast with the sons of this world and the sons of light. Jesus tells us that we are not to live like unbelievers, that is, the sons of the world who only look out for themselves, using all of God's blessings only for selfish comfort and gain. No. As God's redeemed people, we recognize and we confess that we belong to God. We are God's creatures. We are God's redeemed children. All that we have comes from God and it belongs to God. In fact, this comes down to what we sing with the offering every time. We give thee but thine own, whatever the gift may be. All that we have is thine alone. A trust, O Lord, from thee. So then, we recognize and we confess that our life, our time, our money and possessions, the forgiveness of sin, salvation, the promise of heaven, all of it, it belongs to God and it comes from God. And so knowing this to be true and confessing this reality, not only, not only with our lips, but also with our lives, 
We are to use all of God's gifts to love and serve our neighbors and to not be selfishly and inwardly focused only on ourselves. That's the way of the world. Therefore, Jesus says, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Now, you might think to yourself, okay, pastor, I was following you until that verse, right? What do we do with that? What does that mean? Well, at first, this seems difficult to understand, but let's unpack it, right? First of all, there's that phrase, unrighteous wealth. Well, what the Greek says is unrighteous mammon. We sang about that in the sermon hymn, right? Mammon. Mammon is a title for money and possessions. Mammon is a title for the personification of money and possessions as a false god, right? As if we were to take those things, lump them together, worship them, and then give them the title mammon, right? That's what mammon is. The false god of money and possessions. So then why does Jesus use that word here and then tell us to make friends by means of unrighteous mammon? That's a good question. But what Jesus is telling us this morning is this. Dear sons and daughters of light, you know that your money and your possessions, all these things come from God. You do not worship these things as a god. Rather, you worship the one true God who gives you all these gifts purely out of his fatherly divine goodness and mercy. Therefore, use your God-given money and possessions to make friends, that is, to love and serve your neighbors around you. For some concrete examples, those who are naked, clothe them. Those who are hungry, feed them. Those who are thirsty, give them a drink. Those who are strangers, welcome them. Those who are sick, visit them. Now, do any of those things sound familiar? Because they should. You've heard them before. They come up in the lectionary every year. It's from Matthew 25. And that helps us to understand what Jesus is teaching here. Now listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 25. I promise this all ties together. All right, he sets up the last day. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he'll separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Oh, see, there's that comparison again, that contrast. Sheep, goats, Believers, unbelievers, sons of light, sons of the world. Then the king, Jesus, will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous, that is the believers, the sons and daughters of light, they will say to Jesus, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty or give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king, Jesus, will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to the least of one of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Dear saints, you've been saved by God's grace through faith in Christ. And it's all for the sake of Christ. You are God's forgiven children. You cannot and do not earn your salvation. This is all a free gift. However, until the Lord returns on the last day, as we just heard about from that passage from Matthew, your lives, our lives, ought to be and will be characterized by love for your neighbor. Now, what does that look like, right? Well, it's the simple, everyday, and even, dare I say, mundane and boring good works that God has prepared in advance that you should walk in them. 
They're not the superhuman good works everyone sees and pats you on the back for and gives you a trophy for. It's not the huge philanthropy that makes you a household name and causes your social media likes, friends, and followers to explode in number. It's the plain everyday love and service you show to those whom God has put in your life. We actually sang about this in the sermon, or in the the sermon hymn, right? The world seeks to be praised and honored by the mighty, yet never once reflects that they are frail and flighty. But what I truly prize, above all things, is he, my Jesus, he alone. What is the world to me? This is the prayer, the confession of the sons and daughters of light. The world seeks after wealth and all that mammon offers. It never is content, though gold should fill its coffers. I have a higher good. Content with it I'll be. My Jesus is my wealth. What is the world to me? You see, God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. Therefore, Jesus' instruction to us today as his redeemed people, bought with his blood, forgiven, is to be zealous, focused, and motivated to quietly love and serve those around us. That's going to make you look different. This sinful world's going to think that you are a Jesus-loving fool. Well, so be it. In fact, your faith in Christ and trust in his promises is going to make the world hate you. Jesus has already taught us as much in the Sermon on the Mount. See, that's the way the sons of this world are. They live their lives selfishly, and they hate Christ and his church. But that's not who you are. That's not who God made you to be. You are a son or daughter of light. You are a blood-bought and Holy Spirit-filled child of God. Therefore, spite the world and use your mammon, that is, use your God-given money and possessions, and buck the trend. Love and serve your neighbors around you, even your enemies. God help us. But it begs the question again, okay, pastor, this all sounds good, but what does it look like, right? Here's your concrete stuff. Don't live only for wealth, comfort, and the pleasure of your flesh. Your life is not to be characterized by the endless pursuit of wealth. Live in a way where you prioritize the hearing and learning of God's word, for as Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Indeed, this is the the positive side of the meaning to the third commandment, right? We shouldn't despise God's word and preaching, but we should hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. Our lives lived focused on that. I've brought this up in Bible study before, that our ears should be glued to the lips of Jesus, hearing his word, receiving his gifts. We are to live in a way where the lies of Satan are confronted and beat back by the truth of God's word as you teach it and confess it to your child, your God-child, grandchild, niece, or nephew, or even just the little one in the pew next to you, even if they're not technically yours, we are God's family in Christ Jesus. Come to God's house weekly, confessing your sins and receiving your Father's overflowing gifts of forgiveness, eternal life, and salvation, because as long as we are in this flesh, we're going to need these gifts. And God, in his gracious abundance, has given to us his word and sacraments for that purpose, that we might receive that which is most needful, Jesus, his forgiveness. His life, his salvation. You see, we're told today that no servant can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Jesus says you cannot serve God and money, and in the text it actually says mammon. The most needful thing is Jesus. 
He has given himself on the cross in order that you might be his own and live under him in his kingdom and everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. And so you shall. All by his grace. You see, dear sons and daughters of light, God has given you everything to make you his own, even himself on the cross. You are forgiven and set free in Christ Jesus. You have a new identity. You are not of this world. You are God's forgiven child, beloved, set free. And so then, with the help of his Holy Spirit, live in that freedom and joyfully bless others with the gifts your Heavenly Father has given you. In the name of Jesus. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. Let your merciful ears, O Lord, be open to the prayers of your humble servants, and that they may obtain their petitions. Make them to ask such things as shall please you. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For mercy, that in turn we would be quick to show mercy to others, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the church that through the Holy Spirit's work we may be good and faithful stewards of God's gracious provision, especially proclaiming the salvation he provides for all. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the home, that God would soften obdurate hard hearts, turning parents and children toward each other in love and patience, and that he would banish the spirit of impudence, stubbornness, and rebellion from all. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the people of our nation and all those who govern, that ours would be a humble people, enlightened in faith and in every deed by the lamp of the, of the truth of God's perfect word, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For all those who are suffering temptation and any affliction and sickness, especially Joe and Ann Heil, Colby Cruzy, Ron Lyon, Ron Gibson, Claire and Bob Rash, Chuck Lichty, Erlene Lakey, Lisa Rash, and Ted Phillips, that our Lord, who is faithful, would make clear to them the way of escape and enable them to endure and stand firm through faith in Christ Jesus and to grant healing according to his will. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the grieving and sorrowful, that they might have patience in tribulation and the joy of God's salvation. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For a right fear of the Lord, that we would not abandon his truth. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For a right love of the Lord, that we would fervently show mercy and thereby cover a multitude of sins, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For a right trust of the Lord, that in repentance we would return to our baptism daily, and that in faith we would receive his body and blood in the supper as he bids us to do, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Lord God, Heavenly Father, you have blessed us bountifully and given us daily bread. We implore you, preserve us from all covetousness and enliven our hearts to share your gifts willingly with our brothers in need, that we may be found faithful stewards of your gifts and abide in your grace when we are removed from our stewardship and come before your judgment. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.
once again, good morning on this uh, beautiful summer day that the Lord has given us. Uh, apologies for not quite hitting the microphone button there at the end. Um, well, uh, look at our announcements, of course, immediately following service, Sunday school and Bible study today. And then uh, Tuesday, new member class at 7 Wednesday. Our Lutheran Confession study group continues at 9 o'clock, 7 o'clock that evening, or uh, 6 o'clock that evening, rather, workout class in the auditorium. Uh, this Thursday, do take note, it's a busy, busy evening here. We have our Trinity Witness meeting at 6 p.m. and then the Voters Assembly at 8 o'clock that evening. And then also just another reminder that midweek school and confirmation class begins the Wednesday after Labor Day. So that's September 7th. And of course, we look forward to that with, uh, with great joy. Any uh, announcements that I may have missed? All right. Well, seeing none, God's peace be with you as you go out into the world as sons and daughters of light. Those who are beloved and forgiven by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'll greet you at the door.